Acts chapter 2, we left a paragraph dangling, a very important paragraph uh, that describes the community, uh, the fellowship of the new church. And we're going to take a look at that this morning uh, as you turn to Acts chapter 2. Now, Heavenly Father, we always ask your blessing, the wonderful Holy Spirit, whom you sent from heaven to reside in our hearts, to open our understanding to Christ and his word and your will for us in Christ. We pray that we would be able to see these marvelous things by the power of the Spirit and put these truths into practice to be blessed. In Christ's name, amen. Well, uh, we are very sociable creatures for the most part, are we not? Uh, we like to form groups and gather together in subsets of society in all kinds of ways according to our interests, hobbies. You know, you could be in a book club or a fan club or a sports club or a quilting club. Amen? How many of you have ever belonged to a club in your life sometime? See what I'm talking about? <laughs> Well, there's a gazillion organizations with innumerable amount of teams, societies, fraternities, unions, fellowships, associations, you know. Growing up, I, I was a Cub Scout. Actually, I was not a Cub Scout. It was called, called a Weebolo. And that was short for We Be Loyal. That's kind of funny. I just figured that out. I never knew what a weebelow was, but we were loyal little weebelows. We were. <laughs> and it was cool, you know, we all had a, you know, a uniform and we had secret mottos and codes and we all tied those knots. You know what? I wasn't very good at tying those knots, as you, uh, some of you already know about me. Um, but, you know, growing up, Sports clubs, uh, sports teams, a little bit, believe it or not. Uh, in high school, yearbook, those kinds of things. Uh, organizations in college, uh, I was on the street ministry team. Surprise. And, uh, you know, even when I worked for Pepsi, I belonged to the union. That was awesome, except for the union dues. That was another part of, uh, that I didn't uh, appreciate so much. But been a part of many different organizations in my life. Uh, you know, but there's a group that I joined in 1979. It was unlike anything I had ever experienced, nor will ever experience, because it's spiritual in nature. In fact, the Bible says that it's supernatural. Most of you know the story. I was unchurched and just a regular 19-year-old sinner doing my thing in this world. And I was in a nightclub on June 3rd, 1979, and I heard a voice in my head that said, why will you go to hell when you don't have to? Over and over again, I've told the story many times, and I came unraveled. I, I just, I was in fact helped out of the club because I was just at a loss for words. And outside of the club, my brother and I decided that the Lord was speaking to us and that we needed to become Christians. There was no Christian speaking to us, uh, nor had we ever been to church, but we knew that we needed to surrender our lives to God. And in that moment, I was born again. The problem was is that I didn't know any Christians and I had no connection with the church. So I moved in, in this dazed new life of mine, feeling like I knew God and I had all this information and understanding, but I, I didn't have a connection to anybody. And so the story goes on, and, and I, I'll save you all the details, but I ended up walking into this church called Christian Life Center. And when I did, I was awed because I walked into a church much like ours and immediate connection. Now, I had thought I had lost my mind and gone crazy. And then I walked through a door and all these people were as crazy as I was. It was so awesome. <laughs> I remember walking up to somebody and trying to tell this young man about what happened to me. And I said, I was just wasn't looking for the Lord. And I just heard this voice and I was convicted of my sins. And I, and I just said, yes, Lord. I looked in the sky and he just had this big smile on his face. And he put his arms out. 
at Rodriguez, put his arms out and said, come here, give me a hug. And, and he said, we all have the same kind of story here. Welcome. And I was, you know, it's moving. I was home. I knew you were out there somewhere. I knew that there was a God in heaven. I knew I wasn't doing the right thing. I knew there was more to life. I felt the weight of my sins and the darkness and emptiness of my life. And I, I knew it had to be somewhere and I walk in this building and, and to feel that love and to hear the songs. And, and my heart just leapt and I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything about the Bible, nothing, except that I had this new relationship with this Lord, and uh, it was just a wonderful thing. And you know, there's a reason there's nothing like connecting with people of like-minded faith, because the Bible says it's supernatural. The joy, the, the loyalty to one another, the like-mindedness is supernatural. Listen to how 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9 describes us. Listen, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He called. He called. Jesus says in John 10, I call. I know my sheep. I call them by name. I, they hear my voice. They know my voice and they follow. It sets us apart from the whole rest of the world. There are two categories of people in organizations in this world and only two, those who heard the voice and respond and those who heard the voice and do not respond. And so the Bible uses the term church in two ways, like the local church, the church that you can see, like at Corinth, there was a church and the Bible talks about that. And then the second way it uses the word church is the universal church that's invisible. It, it, it is the fellowship of everybody who's been legitimately born again. It's invisible. It goes beyond Calvary Chapel. It, it flows into every denomination. And wherever there's a born again soul, we are together, knit together in that fellowship. That is also called the universal church. And we are a part of that and we are a part of a local expression of that. But not everybody you see in this room is a part of the universal church. There are unbelievers. There are seekers here, those who profess to be, but are not. That's the difference between the universal church as everybody's in. Well, we can't tell right now. We, we know then. But now there's a local expression. And, and, and we saw last time in the first 41 verses of uh, chapter 2, how this church, the first church, how the Old Testament gave way to the New Testament right before our very eyes. We saw that happen, and now we're going to see in a little paragraph that just kind of sums up what the, the life of these 3,000 new Christians was like, and that's kind of the topic of our uh, message this morning. Now, God had an audience there to speak to because that's how anybody joins the, the fellowship of the living God is through hearing God's call, right? So he had an audience, thousands of people there on the southern steps of the temple. And uh, he used the mouthpiece of Peter and our very uh, gospel-centered message that cut them to the heart, it said. And so not bad for his first sermon there. I call that day... And that sermon, a slap from the great physician that got the infant church crying and breathing and up and running. And so here's how that sermon concluded that birthed what we call the church. Repent, he said at the close, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this gift is for you and your children and for all who are near and far off. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He says, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day 3,000 souls. And we saw that happen. Just, just beautiful, uh, beautiful incident there on the southern steps. 3,000. Instant megachurch, really, we would think of it, really. And as, as they say where we just came from, oy they, with 3,000 newbies, can you imagine? Now we have 3,120 
Christians who have this new life in them, sharing this experience and belonging to this, this new group of people. Uh, I imagine long lines forming there on the southern steps of the temple. In fact, if you uh, dim the lights, we were on the southern steps where Peter gives the message to the three or four, 5,000 people, 3,000 responded, so how many thousands were there? But uh, we were standing there, and the tour guide said, this is the very spot, and you can see the cisterns carved into the rock, very deep and very wide, where ritual baths were for mostly for Gentiles. No Jew ever got baptized. They were born children of Abraham. We don't need to come into a relationship with God. We were born with one. That was the traditional Jewish understanding. And then for all of these 3,000 people to be splashing around and praising Yeshua, this was a scene. This was a real scene. It was a beautiful thing. So let, let me just show you. It's a one-minute takeaway. I just, I just took, the, took the phone and just said everybody was leaving. And I was like, oh, let's get one-minute shot of this. As I started, the Muslim call to prayer went off. And I start rambling on about it. You'll see. It's embarrassing to show you, but you know, what can I do? You know what I mean? You know when you, you're on that, yeah, whatever. All right. You can turn those off too if you want. The thing about going to Israel is layer after layer and layer after layer of evidence and testimony to your soul. I've been a believer since that day I walked out of the club. But when I'm standing there and the four hills that were named are, are there it is, that's where it happened. And, and your, your faith is just really strengthened. So that's where our spiritual ancestors came alive in the Holy Spirit, where the new covenant, uh, uh, which was based on inner transformation, uh, the blood of Christ, the new arrangement that we were forgiven of our sins, took place right there. You know, all those folks, you know, big happy scene, 3,000 folks, they didn't know much, did they? What did they know? Kind of like me. I mean, they just knew, wow, so my eyes are open. And it kind of reminds me of when the Pharisees interrogated the man born blind in John chapter 9. They're all, you know, who is this guy? Uh, how did he do it? He said, I told you. You want to hear it again? No. Yeah, tell us again. Well, why do you want to hear it again? And, and where did he come from? Is this man a sinner? He said, listen, I don't have the answers to all of your questions. I only know one thing. I used to be blind. I used to be blind. And then I see. And then I joined this group with all the other ones who used to be blind. And now we see. And we're kind of separated from the ones who are blind and joined together with those who see. The seeing go to the right and have life, Matthew 25. And those who are willfully blind go to the left and shall not see life, Matthew 25 and verse 46. So that's how it happened. And now we have a church 
the universal church. There's no little churches yet, and it's come into existence. Now Luke adds the closing paragraph to give us a flavor of what life was like during what some scholars call the honeymoon phase of Christianity. Because we know it's not a perfect church, and it sounds perfect, but by chapters 5 and 6 and 8, uh, there are a lot of problems. <laughs> but in the beginning, it's just beautiful, and it is beautiful. Here we go, verses 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And by day, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, the Holy Spirit calling that organization, that fellowship, that camaraderie that we share, the saved. That's who, who we are. That's what unites us. We're saved. So Luke sums up the community life uh, and says that there are four things going on. And of course, anything that was going on in the early churches needs to be paid attention to. And, and I think rightfully said that these things ought to be going on in a healthy expression of the local church, which is a visible reality of the church universal. And so we take a look at it. Uh, number one, it was a learning church. Number two, it was a loving church. Number three, it was a worshiping church. And as a result, it was a growing church. As a result of the first three, because it's the Lord that brings life. It's the Lord who calls. It's the Lord who adds to the church daily those who are being saved. So number one, well, it's not a big surprise. It shouldn't be to any uh, Christian or pastor that the number one truth out of all the dynamics of the early church, the Holy Spirit could say, hey, this is what was going on. To put the devotion to the apostles' teaching, just the word of God. Teaching the word of God. Now, first of all, the idea that the community was devoted to three or four things, but they were devoted to all of them. And the word devoted is important. It's the idea of persistence, persevering at something, using determination and exerting. So this is important because when you come into the kingdom, right, you wake up and wow, look at it, I'm connected to all these people and to God, right? That was from the work of a passive work of surrendering passive work of receiving. It didn't require a lot of effort except the effort to do nothing and actually receive. Christian maturity to go forward is really just the opposite. It's a lot of cooperation, a lot of work. We are to exercise our faith in order to grow. You know, Christian maturity just doesn't happen by having birthdays. You know, June 3rd was just a while ago when I turned 34 years in the Lord. Well, you know, I'm in my mid-50s now, right? Uh, just because you have a birthday doesn't make you more mature physically. It's the same way. We have to apply ourselves. And it says they were devoted. And the tense for the Greek word there is to be continually. They worked at it. You know, in Philippians chapter 2, it says we should work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who's at work in you to will and to do his good pleasure. That's an amazing thing. He says, look, you've got God working in your life to conform you to the image of Christ, to, to change you, to transform you, to give you power over sin. You've got to work hard. You've got to work hard. And that's what they decided to do. Number one, we're going to work hard. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we worked just as hard on our inner selves as we pay attention and work for temporary things that really aren't going to matter in the long run. Imagine if we paid as much devotion to our souls as we do to what you can see on the outside, the temporal things of life. And so uh, the number one thing, they devoted themselves to the, let's talk about it, the apostles' teaching. What does it mean to devote yourself to teaching? I mean, does it just mean that your, your knowledge uh, increases and you devote yourself to learning facts? 
Not so much, even though there are facts that are important. It means that you, you embrace it so that you live it. You're not just a hearer of the word, as James says, chapter one, verse 22, you are a doer. It, it gets a hold of you, and so we can tell what you believe and know by the way you live your life. That's devotion, you see? And, and why is devotion to the word of God and the teaching thereof so important? Well, Jesus said right off, it's the source of your life. People do not live by bread alone, by meals, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, Jesus in Matthew 4. Did you know that Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23, says that you were born again by the word of God. The word of God, the enduring eternal word of God gave you new life. So it, it's, it, the word of God is what brings us to life. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Faith, your faith came because of one thing, you heard the voice of God, you heard the word of God, however you did, and you responded. That is how we are born again. Therefore, it makes real good sense that number one thing going on in a Christian congregation is the teaching, the explaining, the correct handling, the rightly dividing, King James, of the word of God because it's our life. It's how we came into life. It's what sustains us. It keeps us on the straight and narrow path. It's a light to my path. It's a lamp unto my feet. Psalm 119, 109. How can a young person keep themselves pure? By obeying your word. Psalm 119 and verse 9. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. His word and embracing it in your heart. It keeps us from sin. It guides us. It cleanses us, Ephesians chapter 5. It matures us, Ephesians chapter 4. It key, it's the key to prospering. Whatever you do will prosper. It says when you meditate day and night and you live in the richness and the fullness of the word of God, you'll be like a tree firmly planted in the ground by waters of life with leaves that never wither with this abundant fruit on your boughs. And just, just you know, time doesn't allow to, to give all the benefits of the word of God. Jesus said, listen, those who hear my word and put it into practice will be like the man, the smart man, who builds his house on a rock and the storms of life will come and you will stand, you will be found standing as a result of what? hearing the word of God and doing it. So it's no uh, surprise to me that Ephesians chapter four says, for this new fellowship, ongoing throughout the ages, the Lord God, Ephesians chapter four, verse 11, would gift, the word is to gift, the church, the congregation, the universal church will always have elders, teachers, pastors to teach them the word of God. It's just no surprise to me. All scripture is God breathed and is given to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're out of whack and teaches us to do what is right so that God's servant can be thoroughly prepared for serving him. It makes total sense to me that God would give pastors, right? Now, the word for pastor is poimen, and it means to shepherd. It comes from a word that means to feed. Peter, if you love me, express that love one way. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. The job of the pastor slash elder, the Greek word for elder, is a word that we, where we get Presbyterian from, which means to oversee to be given oversight over the care of people's souls as the New Testament describes the job of an elder. All right, and so Paul tells Timothy, a leader, keep reminding God's people of these things. Study and do your best to correctly handle the word of truth, uh, to have God's approval and to be not ashamed. So the first duty of leaders is to teach the word of God and a healthy church Wherever Christians are, there should be a teacher of God's word. Now, it is true when we gather together, we exhort one another and we all have the Holy Spirit. But God has the new, listen, the New Testament pattern. If we were to say, well, what does the New Testament say about congregational worship 
and pastors. Well, I'll tell you, in Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, This is why I left you in Crete, Titus, Paul speaking, so that you might put what remained into order and to appoint elders in every town. I underline the word every. Secondly, Acts chapter 14 and 23. Paul and Barnabas, listen, appointed elders and pastors, same word used back and forth, for them in every church with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So there you have two scriptures that show the New Testament pattern, at least how Paul was led of the Holy Spirit, where Christians assembled, he wanted to appoint an elder. Every town, every church. That was the best. It didn't always happen that way, did it? Or does it? But when congregations get together, God has gifted the church with these people to correctly uh, exposit the word of God. And so that's the New Testament pattern Have confidence in your leaders, Hebrews chapter 13. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you. There's the word elder, presbyteros. They keep watch over you as one who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be no benefit to you. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Servant authority he gives to these leaders to teach, to build up, to protect, not to control and manipulate and abuse and to be self-serving. There are ways in local churches to get rid of a guy like that. Uh, But uh, optimally, servant, humility, and authority to build people up and to teach them the word of God. So the apostles' teaching is found in the New Testament, the New Testament application of the Old Testament as well. We continue to teach the word of God, to love the word of God, to live it, to guard it, and to handle it correctly. Man, oh man, this is why I became a Calvary Chapel pastor. I walked into a Calvary Chapel, I don't know, 15 years ago. The guy opens the book and says, turn with me to this verse. No introduction, nothing. I just want to talk about the word of God. Verse one. Now, what do we have here in verse one? Verse two, verse three, verse four. No, no topics, no, no stories, no endless uh, uh, examples. He just, just, he just opened the word and he said, next week we pick up at 15. I was like, I'll be here. I will be here. I was hungry. I was hungry, I didn't want just positive talking. How to make my life work, yeah, I wanna wanna make my life work, but there was something deeper I was yearning for. I wanted to get into the meat of the word of God. Just like Jesus said, that's the life. The life is in the word. And to be word-centered is to be a healthy church, amen? Number two. It was a learning church. It was a loving church. These folks just really loved one another. And here's the word that's used. It's famous. Koinonia, right? Everybody's heard, most everybody's heard that word. It means the fellowship or to share or the word koine in Greek was around. It meant common, sharing common, right? But the New Testament writers through the Holy Spirit coined, unintended, The new word, koinonia, meant to participate together in God. A brand new word change to the common word koine. What do we share together? Well, if you know what we share together, it, it is what causes everything else to happen. We share a calling, that voice. So when I was talking to you about hearing this voice and not knowing where it came from, all of you, including if you came to Christ as a child, or there have been times in your life you've heard that unmistakable spirit-to-spirit, soul-to-soul thing. Well, that is my maker. That's something we share. Nobody else knows that. We share that together. We know what we should be doing. The Great Commission, shining our light, taking the good news to other people, and sharing the love of Jesus. We share a joy, our sins forgiven, eternal life. We share rescue, don't we? We share rescue. That's what knits our hearts together. That's why I love you so much. I found people who, who escaped the wrath of God. Narrow is the way that leads to life, and few, relatively speaking, few, there be that find it. Jesus said, 
Wide and broad is the way that leads to destruction and many go that way. Now, come on. We share a fellowship where we are the survivors. We are the sole survivors in this life. You talk about a narrow miss with a narrow brush with death. That's what we share. We share a narrow brush with eternal damnation. We missed it, and nobody knows why. We can't explain it was nothing that we were doing. He said he chose us. Yes, we believed. Somehow they're both working together, but what we have in common is a shared experience of being rescued from eternal torment. That's the, that's the scriptures, right? Can you imagine that flight? What was it, U.S. Airways? Uh, 15 something, I wrote it down, 1549, engine failure. Oh, right over New York City. And an Airbus, a jetliner, no power, unplugged. And he says, brace yourself, we're going down. And then that beautiful picture, they're floating in Airbus, floating in the Hudson River, the freezing water, and they're all standing there on the wings. You remember that picture? And some are in the water, they're being fished out of the water. What a bond. What a bond when they talk about, do you remember when the flight attendant said, brace for impact? Do you remember? Do you remember the captain's voice? Do you remember when the, the, the engines just went, hmm, stomped? Do you remember when the plane started going? Do you remember the arms of being carried into warmth and given a hot cup of coffee? They have a bond. We are the survivors of not a plane crash, but the fall of humanity, where people will perish, but a remnant shall be saved. That is what produces everything in the Christian life, a common sharing of rescue and love and mercy that not one person in this room can explain. Why? Why me in the club? There were a lot of lost souls in the club. Why, why did you come after me and start talking and messing with my mind? Why? <laughs> There's no explanation for it. There but the grace of God go, all of us, off the cliff. And he says, you know what? Listen to me, my voice. And for some reason, we said yes. And once we did that, it knit us to us. And we found other people who heard the voice and said yes, and that's what we share. It's a unique thing here, and so they're all happy. They found each other because they found God, and listen, you find God, you find one another. God comes as a package plan, him and his people. That's it. I'm sorry, you're your own little lone ranger Christian out there doing your thing, and it's us 10 and no more. I'm sorry, that's not a biblical idea. It really isn't. We're knit together. Do you know what it says in the Bible? It says, do you want to know how you know that you've passed out of death into life? That you love the brothers. <laughs> That's how you know. Oh, I ran into somebody who said, you know what? I'm not too fond of Christians. <laughs> you know what? I've met some irritating Christians, okay? <laughs> and I might be one of them. <laughs> I'm waiting for an amen. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, but oh, oh, my friend. Uh, if God's spirit touches your heart, you love his people. What's it all? You love them. You're, you, I walked into CLC that day and I heard the music. I, I loved them. I didn't even know them. I looked at their faces. I saw their hands raised. I heard the amazing grace being sung. It's like, I love you. I'm going to move in with you all. <laughs> and I did, <laughs> practically, with some of them. Listen, it's just, so here's what it says. It says that they loved each other because they shared spiritual realities. They, that translated into sharing physically, and they were generous. Uh, and all who believed, that's what we're called by the Holy Spirit, called believers, were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the, uh, the proceeds to all as many had need. Now listen, this is a unique situation here. We have Jews visiting on the day of Pentecost from, quote, every nation under heaven, Acts chapter 2. Every nation under heaven. They got saved, 3,000 of them, and guess what? They didn't want to go home. They didn't want to go home. They got knit to this and the love and the teaching and the breaking of bread, and we're saved, and we, wow, we found the love of God. We don't want to go back yet. And so what happened? They needed food. They needed a place to stay. They needed stuff. 
And so the, the Christian said, we're going to make it happen. Are you kidding me? I've got a field. I'm going to sell that. You know, the three of you can take those proceeds and you can stay a couple months with me because of selling that. You know, I've got an extra chariot. You know, it doesn't work right. The pistons aren't firing right, whatever. <laughs> you know, I always got it. It's burning a lot of fuel. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to sell it. Why'd they do that? Because they, they, they were in need. They wanted to be together. You know, it wasn't always the way, that case, and it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't an obligation. I've heard lots of crazy sermons about these kinds of verses. Listen to me. It wasn't communism. I, I would call it communism, all right? There's a big difference. Communism, communism says, what's yours is mine, all right? It's compulsory. You don't get to own anything. It's all of ours, all right? Communism says, you know what? what, what's mine is yours. If the Lord leads in that way, you know, I mean, what Christ has done for us, made known to our hearts in the Holy Spirit, softens us up to be loving and generous with one another. It would change the bumper sticker from, you know the bumper sticker on pickup trucks, it says, uh, yes, it's my truck, no, I can't help you move, right? <laughs> now, we have ushers outside in the parking lot right now looking at all the bumper stickers. In case, you know. Here's how somebody who gets saved thinks. Well, you know, no, it's not actually my truck. It's the Lord's. And yes, I may be able to help you move. Those who have been forgiven much, they love much. God touches your heart. You just open up, not just with your wallet or your hospitality, but with your time. With patience, you're just generous. And, and then you look into the eyes of somebody who's telling your story, the same story. And you just want to help them. You want to make them make it. You want them to succeed. You want them to, to be successful. Oh man, your heart just wants to do whatever I can do to help because of what happened to me and I see it happen to you. We got the same father and we're gonna spend eternity together. That loosened them all up. You know what happened? They had the Ebenezer Scrooge syndrome. Now what happened with Ebenezer, Christmas Carol, George C. Scott, best Christmas film of all time. He sees his wretched life and his wretched destiny. He knows what he deserves. And he's going on a southbound train. And then he wakes up on Christmas. And he realizes, I just had a near brush with eternal disaster. He wakes up. He's a new man. And what happens? He starts going into his coin bag. And he's opening up the window. And he's throwing out coins. And he's looking out for people who don't have a big enough turkey on Christmas. And he's making donations in the bank. The whole thing was about understanding the significance of the mercy received in his own heart and wanting to share. Now he's a, a new man. He wakes up, he wants to share that kind of love. Listen, Zacchaeus. Nobody said Zacchaeus' name uh, with warmth. Not even Zacchaeus' mother. It's the short little tax collecting, greasy little swindler exhorting, ex sorry. <laughs> They're my people. I could talk about them like that. <laughs> Nobody liked him. Nobody paid attention. He, he climbs up in a tree. He sees Jesus. They connect, and Jesus is talking sweet to him. And his heart opens up, and what does he do? As soon as this is it, he gets connected. He's connected to Jesus. He's accepted by Jesus, and he looks in the eyes of the disciples and says, you love me like you love Peter? I'm like on the same playing field and, and equal worth and everything to, to Peter, James, and John, me? He says, right now, half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've defrauded anybody four times as much, do you see? The love, the sharing, the koinonia, the mercy received, he wants to bless. That's it. And then what does Jesus say? He says, hey, today, take note, salvation. <laughs> salvation has come to this house. Why did Jesus say that? That's the mark of a saved soul is an open heart, generosity. Number three, so it's a learning church, a loving church, and a worshiping church. Devoted to, underline the, it's an article there, the breaking of bread and the prayers. 
and day by day attending the temple together, so corporate worship together, and then breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So breaking the bread, they're devoted at it. So let's talk about that. Well, in the broadest sense of the term, breaking bread in the Bible means having a meal together, traditionally dinner in the broadest sense of the word. Now, this means that they liked each other. They wanted to spend time together, and there's something spiritual that happens when we share a meal together. I don't know what it is. Hard to put your finger on. But when it's done right, right? I mean, it could be a disaster. Uh, but uh, when, it, when a meal is done right, you have heartwarming, uh, you have joy, you have peace, you have laughter, you have nurture. There's reconnecting, man. You know what I miss most about when the kids were little? <laughs> it's moving to talk about. Uh, dinner time was a big deal in my house. It was a big deal. Dinner time at my house of my family of origin was a nightmare. Dishes on the floor, screaming. 911 calls, always, all the time. But I got filled with the Holy Spirit. I remember thinking, dinner time's gonna be a blessing. And we talk about our day, and we tell jokes, and we laughed, and we checked in with everybody. And we'd read a little bit of scripture. We pray together. We connect. We, Jesus was with us, and there was just, just a beautiful time. And you know, we have dinner and meals together still. We, I mean, we just did that with our adult children. And you know, there's something when they're little. I, I encourage you, just make a big deal out of your dinners together. There's some, what did Jesus do? He said it's spiritual. Look how he compared. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody hear my voice, there we go again. There we go again with the voice of God that wakes us up, that saves us. If anybody hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in with him and we'll eat a meal together. What? <laughs> That's not how I expected the sentence to finish. It's that uh, I'll come in and we'll live together or I'll save you or we'll walk together in this life. I didn't expect and we'll sit down and have dinner. It's a continual metaphor of the sharing, the nurturing, the love, the joy, the reconnecting. Just a beautiful thing, and that's what they were doing. Now, in the, in the more specific sense, the breaking of the bread. Now, that calls our attention to the Lord's table or the Lord's supper. Jesus told the disciples when he instituted communion, Passover, on Passover, that this was all about his broken body and his blood shed for us. And he said, as often as you do this, remember me whenever you're doing it. Now, uh, the early church met together and they would take communion as part of a meal. It was beautiful. They'd have a home fellowship group, right? Like we've done. And, and at the close, they would break that warm bread right out of the oven, and they'd pass the cup, and it would just be joy-filled and all of this. And, and, and that's what they did, uh, because Jesus told us to do that, to remember the Lord's suffering and death. And why, did they, why were they devoted at having the Lord's Supper at some of their meals? That's the glue that holds the fellowship together. From the realization in your soul that that passion that Jesus showed on the cross was for you, for your wretchedness, for the filthy thoughts that you think, for all the misdeeds you've done in your whole life, that that was done for you and for us. That is what, where all Christian charity and love and generosity, the desire to obey, it comes when I'm near the table. Uh, the desire to let people off the hook, to cut people grace, to be kind to my spouse, to let all debts go. All of that comes really good when I'm near this. When, I'm, when I forget about what he went through for me, then my heart gets hard. And I can get a little arrogant, or I can get a little hard-hearted. But boy, they devoted themselves to this sharing, and it kept them united, kept them loving, kept them soft-hearted. Can you watch the passion of the Christ and then have a haughty spirit and be judgmental be on your, your little self-righteous thing where everybody's wrong and you're right and you're God's gift to the whole world? I don't think so. Not that I don't think you're God's gift to the whole world, but when we're near the table and the Holy Spirit is making real to our hearts 
Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Why, God, why have you forsaken me? The answer is because of me, because of my sins. How dare I not forgive you? How, how, how dare I be hard-hearted and I'm not getting my needs met in this relationship? Oh my gosh, grow up, grow up, seriously. Someone else will tell you that, and it has to be me. You need to grow up. This isn't all about you, this is about giving, and as you give, you will receive. He who refreshes others, he himself shall be refreshed. And so they devoted themselves to the table. Now, you know how it's worked out. The churches have grown. We meet on Sunday mornings. Sunday morning's a bad time to have wine and dinner, unless you're an alcoholic right? So we don't do that. So instead, and some kind of poke fun at us, that we want to, as a congregation of believers for hundreds of years, have been wanting to say, hey, we're meeting in the morning. Lord, we want to include a gesture, a remembrance. We know how they did it, and it's lovely, and we do it in homes, and we'll do it in homes. But you know, Sunday morning, we just want something to bring our thoughts into focus about what you did on that night and to share in it. And there's something powerful and wonderful about a little plastic cup with grape juice and a little pizza, pizza. (laughs) See where my mind's going? A little piece of matzah. The Holy Spirit takes the gesture That's all it is, is a gesture. We know it was a more comfortable setting. The question, listen, my friends, isn't what was served? How many times did they do it? Was it in a building or a house? The question is, remember. The point is to remember. I'm sure we could remember it in more comfortable, meaningful ways. But for me, I think God is pleased at the gesture. He honors this. Powerful healing testimonies about how God accompanies these little symbols like that. And so it came down to this, but we all know that back in the day it was a part of a meal, and uh, like we have done and continue to do in our home uh, fellowship group. So it was a worshiping church, and we uh, also we see that they prayed. They prayed the Psalms, it's the prayers. And so uh, they read some of their prayers, they read the Psalms. And they prayed spontaneous, corporately and privately, it says there. In life together, so summing it up, the sense was of God's sacrificial love was close by. You know, the cross and the idea of what Jesus did on the cross is never far from Christian community and faith. It's just never far. It can't be because it's really the life's blood. And also the presence of God. A prayerless life is a godless life. Communion with God. You don't pray much, what does that say? Listening, talking, ongoing conversation with God, it's a beautiful thing. Finally, there was a teaching uh, church, a learning church, there was the loving church, and there's the worshiping church. And now as a result of these things, the church is growing. And I, I really think that there ought to be in a healthy church community, there ought to be baptisms. There ought to be altar calls where people can respond to a sermon like they did that birthed the church. There ought to be a gospel presentation. There ought to be coming forward or raising hands. That's how we do things. Uh, The heartbeat of anybody who's truly saved is to share God's passion for those who don't know him. You've got to care. I mean, something just happened to me just, just the other day. I was on my way to a little graduation party. Uh, I was going down Highway 12. And I wanted to stop at that first gas station there, coming into Sebastopol to get my little uh, Starbucks double espresso shot uh, because I was feeling like I needed a zip. (laughs) It happens. But I missed that gas station. And I ended up passing our old church building, the Yerba Mate building, downtown Sebastopol. We remodeled that. That sign out there that says Yerba Mate, we made that sign. And inside that sign, It used to say Calvary Chapel as you came into Sebastopol. And and so I saw the church, and then I pulled over at the Mart right next to it, because I remembered, I want that coffee. And so I got my little coffee, and I started chatting with the guy at the register. And I said, were you here five years ago? He said, no. Well, he said, why? I said, oh, that was a church back then. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah. No, I wasn't here yet. And I said, oh, yeah, I knew the guy who worked here. And he goes, yeah, and I remembered his name. And we started talking about that. And I said, yeah, we were 40 people then 
We just had a 10-year anniversary, and there were 700 people at that. He goes, man, that must be a cool church. <laughs> and I'm all, well, yeah. <laughs> I said, I would go there. <laughs> I do go here, right? And uh, he, I said, here it is. Because the Holy Spirit's in my heart, because I'm thinking, is this guy going to heaven? Do you go to church? He goes, oh, funny you should ask. He said, yeah, I stopped. Did you stop going? He said, I just went a couple times to a church that you all know in Sebastopol, you've heard of. He said, yeah, I don't go anymore. And I said, maybe, he goes, I know, I already know. Maybe I'm here as a result of God's love to just let you know he loves you. And he goes, yeah, I know. I can't go anywhere without him chasing me down. <laughs> That's a sure sign of something good when God is chasing you down, right? I, I told him, let him win. Let him get you. <laughs> That's a good deal. Just, just surrender, amen? But listen, I said, Google the rock. And he goes, the rock? Yeah. I said, just Google it. Check it out. Why? I want him to be saved. This young man, he's a young man, a good-looking kid. He's, he's got a life. He's got a soul. And look what God did. Just because I'm, I'm thinking, heaven or hell, what's going on? Well, that's how they were thinking. We don't do anything. We just kind of live our Christian life. People God puts in front of us, we, we love, we shine, we do our thing. We talk about the goodness of the Lord. And then God adds to the church. It's a God thing. You see, we can't change somebody's life, but I can live in such a way that God can use me in a way to help somebody else. That passion was in their hearts. And so God added daily. God used their learning and loving and worshiping their community to reach through them and put somebody right with himself. That's what it's all about. Amen? Oh, speaking of communion... We're going to draw near to the Lord now in worship. We're going to remember him with this gesture, with a little cup, with a little matzah to remind us of that great sacrifice on our behalf. Let's pray together. The worship team's coming. The ushers should be forward and ready to serve. Now, Heavenly Father, we, th we just thank you for your great love and that in your mercy and grace, you reached out and saved us. And then you knit our hearts together with Jesus and with his people. We pray, Father God, that you'd, you'd help us uh, to be who you want us to be for you and for one another. And that these uh, wonderful dynamics of the early church would come to life in us every day. And that we would continually be devoted as they were to these same truths. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.